This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning prop firm, Fidelcrest. Trading that episode 210. What I did initially was, like you said, capital was a problem for me. Um, so I, re- I went for the FTMO trials. Um, not not paying, but actually the trials where you can just see if you can actually pass the real thing. And once I did, you know, five, six of those consistently, um, then that's when I went for the real thing. And I used my 18th birthday money to pay for the challenge. Um, the first one didn't pass, but I didn't foul. So what they did is they gave me another month. And that's when I was able to actually then jump on and um, become the FTMO funded trader. The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax. Learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial trading or investing advice of any kind. What's up, traders? Welcome to another installment of the Trading Up Podcast. I'm your host, Cam Hawkins, and today we've got Matt Mortimer on the show. Now, if the name sounds familiar, it's because he's connected to a couple of other guests that have been on Trading Up. You're going to find out who they are in a second. Um, other things I should tell you about Matt is that he's yeah he's only 21 years old, and where he actually trades, the location he trades, will surprise you. We also went through and did a video afterwards where he broke down uh, his trade of the year, which was a 1,000 pip trade. In fact, when I re-watched the video, I realized that we even said it was a 1,000 pip trade. It actually turned out to be 925 pips, but hey, I'm going to use 1,000 pips on that video title anyway because it sounds way better. Uh, and he also breaks down his backtesting approach, which we talk about in the show, and it's quite interesting how he goes or how, how he has sort of gone through this whole process of learning to trade and how he incorporated data in it, and you're going to get the whole thing by the time you watch these two videos or, or listen to the podcast, then watch the video. Now, uh, I am toying with the idea of doing my own live stream and coming out of the box here with my trading. I know I haven't talked about my trading a lot over the years uh, recently because it has been pretty dire and it's been up and down. I mean, I do two parts to it. I do a daily strategy, which is slow moving and um, something that I'm just going to keep you know, rocking along with. And also this lower time frame stuff in the London session, which I've had some success with over the time and uh, over the years, and I've had some you know horror shows. But I started doing something last week, and I want I really do. I don't know. This, I've got an urge to bring it live to you folks out there uh, to give you some insight into what I'm doing on a price chart. It's not going to be highly educational, but you're just going to see what I do. Uh, the I mean, last week I had Monday was terrible. Lost five trades in a row. Uh, the rest of the week, every day, I you know, grew the account. The problem was, overall, my commission just ate through all the profit, but I've worked out a way to overcome that because I just didn't realize how much commission was being taken out of these like lower time frame trades. So I think I've overcome that. Uh, I'm going to be doing these ad hoc. So what that means is I'm going to jump on when I feel like it and then just put the live stream up there. So if you do want to get uh, access to this, live you're going to need to uh, subscribe to the channel then click on that notifications bell and click all on the youtube channel and uh, you'll get a notification probably you know as soon as i'm going live which there'll be almost zero warning because i'm just going to do this as and when 
I'm going to see how it goes and see if I can even do this live. I don't even know. We're just going to see what happens. But I wanted to give you guys some insight into what I'm doing. I also think that for whatever reason, this may actually help uh, solidify some things for me. I don't know. We're going to see. We're going to see how it goes. But what I can guarantee you is when I do go live, there will be at least one trade. At least. Most probably there'll be more than one trade taken during this live streams. And I'm probably going to turn the camera off for most of it because I'll be not necessarily at the chart the whole time. I'll be leaving and coming back and that sort of thing. All right. So anyway, enough from me. Last but not least, uh, the boot camp is happening this week. Now, if you are, this is for Robot Builders Club, if you are looking at a quick and dirty way to learn how to build trading robots, then this could be for you. I think I'm going to keep the doors open whilst the camp is running so you guys can get a, a chance to access the replays. Maybe not the live streams, but yeah. Folks, that's over there on tradingnut.com. Enough from me, let's get on with the show. Fidel Crest is an award-winning prop firm that funds traders with up to $2 million and offers generous profit splits up to 90%. So what sets Fidel Crest apart? Well, it's their verification stage payouts of up to 30K in as little as 15 days. So you can receive your first payout prior to becoming a fully funded trader. Just complete the challenge phase and verification stage without violating any rules to receive your first payout. And be sure to use promo code TRADINGNUT, all one word, to get 10% off your next challenge. Click the link in the description below or the card above to find out more. All right, folks, here we are on Trading Up. We've got Matt Mortimer in the house here. Uh, he is part of the crew that we've had on the show here. We've had Alex, your business partner, and we've had Charlie on as well. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Cam. Looking forward to it. Uh, so you're over there in Canary, your Canary Wharf office. You're only 21 years old, started trading at the age of 15. Let's hear that story because it is like quite phenomenal for someone to dive in at that early age and even how you met uh, Alex and Charlie along the way. Yeah, so I got into trading when I was 15. You know, I was that typical person scrolling through social media. I got drew in by the lifestyle I thought I was going to have quite quickly. You know, I saw the cars. I saw the guys by the pools with the laptops on their lap and the cocktails in one hand. It, it looked fantastic. And I thought, well, cool, I fancy a bit of that. Um, I quickly discovered that wasn't going to be the case. As a 15-year-old, you know, I was quite naive. Uh, I was putting, you know, 100, 200 pounds into a trading account i was trying to flip it to know two three four five thousand pound that did not um go to plan soon after i became a lifeguard um you know to try and get some pin money on the side to try and fund my dream of becoming this you know fantastic trader um so i'd get maybe a, a monthly wage from lifeguarding doing a couple hours here and there and again it would not go to plan i'd keep blowing blowing accounts and the money would be going down the drain one thing I'd say I did learn about being a lifeguard, though, is for hours at a time, you know, we'd sit by the pool, staring, doing absolutely nothing. I didn't know it at the time, um, but now I actually realize, well, that taught me, you know, to have patience. And as a trader, that's probably the biggest thing we can actually have. Now, I didn't know it as a lifeguard, but because I was interested in trading at the time, I literally sit there and actually think about everything I loved about trading. I try and um, go through all the chart patterns, all the candlestick patterns in my head and try and remember as much as I can. Um, because I didn't want to be a lifeguard forever and I wanted to almost break out of that then um, at, at that stage back, what, what were you actually what were you learning and how were you sort of approaching the market from a technical point of view fundamentals what so, were you using so that uh, phase of trading was you know the head and shoulders pattern uh, the bullish flag you know the different type of candlestick patterns that was the trend back then uh, people were learning like the best combinations you to use with candlesticks 
um, and I was obsessed with head and shoulders, inverse head and shoulders. That was, you know, my bread and butter back then. Since then, the trading has developed into more of a supply and demand type of trading. Um, and, I suppose looking yeah, at a swimming pool and you, all you can see is head and shoulders poking out the water, you're probably yeah, exactly. just like seeing it you everywhere. Really right? it. <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. Um, and then since then, you know, I met the boys, Charlie and Alex, and then we pieced together this team and... Uh, yeah, five, six years later now, you know, we've got the uh, educational platform and fun up and running. And, and how did you how did you connect with uh, Alex and uh, I think it was Alex or and Charlie in, in those instances? Because Funny it's enough, quite, quite you'd see, yeah. find it quite unusual to sort of, well, I suppose, randomly run into traders that, that are sort of in your, in your circles. So how did that happen? So me and Charlie actually played football with each other when we were 12 years old. Uh, we played football with each other between the ages of 12 and 16. Um, so we had each other on social media. Charlie saw that, you know, I got into trading and he was like, oh, this looks fantastic as well. And then um, he learned through George Mortimer, which is the educational platform. And then which me and Alex built. I met Alex as well because we were a trader. We put together a GM, uh, which is George Mortimer. Charlie learned through George Mortimer. And now Charlie's actually gone on to progress to be the head trader at uh, Westwater Associates. So that's how the team's almost assembled. We met each other all online. Me and Charlie knew each other from football, and it's gone from there. And but you you found Alex's uh, social media stuff and and connected him th- yeah. with him through there. Okay, yeah. cool. Similar age, um, so we were like, oh, let's you know connect. Yeah, awesome. It, it, and it's um and so so that that trading journey, progressing mm-hmm. that through to to where you got to the point where you're profitable. I mean, how did that look? What what age were you, and and what were the key moments that changed? So, it took me around two and a half years to actually get consistent. I'll be honest. Um, it took me a very, very long time, longer than most traders actually for me. And I really, really struggled with, you know, um, admitting I was wrong. I, I hated losing and I couldn't get over that barrier of um, knowing that loss is worth finding trading. I really, really struggled with that. Once I, once I saw that, that was completely fine and losses are part of the game. And it, once you treat trading like a business and you know, losses are, every single week, every single day. Um, That is when my trading transformed. Then I really started to get majorly into data collection. That's what I was missing majorly. Um, When I started actually collecting data properly on pairs, you know, the tendencies of pairs, when when did pairs, you know, react? Why did they react? And actually start building up proper Excel spreadsheets on the pairs. That's when my trading clicked. And that was, you know, my click moment. And that's when everything changed for me. It was around that two and a half year mark. And what what was the approach to the market at that point? Uh, well, that was when I started to get into the SMC. Now, uh, supply and demand. Okay, right, right. So, so, so the data, the data collection. How did you go about doing the data collection? So, what I'll do is I'll go. Uh, I'll go on a piece of paper, grab any single piece of paper, write three easy steps. It might be um, continuational trend, and you might say something about a specific entry and maybe a time of entry. I'll go back twelve months on a currency pair and only use entries on those three different rules. And I'll go forward 12 months and collect data based on those three rules and only take trades that match those three rules. It can literally be the the, the lowest, um, literally the easiest type of uh, entry, right? But what I'm doing is taking every single entry that matches those three. And after those 12 months, I'll look at the data, look at the percentages and be like, um, okay, am I happy with this stuff? Then what I'll do is add extra steps and extra layers um, to that. So if I'm not happy with my win rate, I might add an extra step, which then increases the win rate, and that will affect the overall percent for the year. Uh, and, and were you doing it on one particular time frame, or 
mixing it yes. up across so the... ah, okay, depending right. on the model yep. uh, in this case uh, most of it was four hour and that's because the four hour is my favorite time frame okay and how did you sort of stumble on the four hour as opposed to any other time frame um, well, again, it was trial and error. However, uh, I did pick up a, a lot through, you know, like YouTube, um, previous courses when I first started. Four hour seemed to be the common uh, time frame all these successful traders did love. So that was almost what stood in my head. But more of a case as well, I, I knew that the SMC phase and, you know, trend was very, very big at the time. And of course, with the SMC traders, they love the one minute, they love the three, they love the five minute. So it was a more, more of a case as well of away from what the herd was doing um because even though the smc traders might have an amazing one to 40 one to 50 occasionally um well they're not showing their losses always um and you know as you trade more capital you need to scale the time frames i was trading more capital at the time for uh, at the time which meant i needed to increase the time frame i was on and that's something i do believe quite heavily in and so so in terms of the, the capital side of things like as a as a you know young guy lifeguard Probably not, yeah. you know, cash isn't coming to you left, right and centre. No, no, no. What, what did you do in that respect? How did you sort of manage to scale up? Because I'm guessing at a four hour, you're not going to be getting these one to 40. So you're not going to be growing your one 100 pound account to four to five K in, yeah. in a couple of, no. couple of weeks. So how did that look? So, so what I did initially was, like you said, capital was a problem for me. Um, so I, re- I went for the FTMO trials. Um, not not paying, but actually the trials where you can just see if you can actually pass the real thing. And once I did, you know, five, six of those consistently, um, then that's when I went for the real thing. And I used my 18th birthday money to pay for the challenge. Um, the first one didn't pass, but I didn't fail. So what they did is they gave me another month. And that's when I was able to actually then jump on and um, become the FTMO funded trader. And, and so what, what challenge did you take? Was it a a hundred thousand dollars. It was thirty five k. Thirty five k. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, so you had a bit of bit of cash at that point, and we had you left school then, or? Um, so my school got cut short because of COVID oh, yeah. uh, in twenty twenty. That was a big blessing in disguise for me because soon after we moved up to Canary Wolf here. Um, however, I was always that kid who sat in the corner of the class with the laptop, and everyone would come over try and see what I was doing, um, and it was almost like leave me alone. I'm trying to trade. Um, but no, school was very, very interesting because I wasn't really there to learn. I, it was for me, it was just a waste of time because I knew I didn't ever really want to go to university or any pursue, you know, that typical profession. It's funny because I think if I remember rightly, Alex was the same in terms of like all of his yep. mates were out there, you know, getting boozed and, and having a great time. And he's yep. like just head down in, in the charts for years yep. on end. Um no. Uh, how did that go from a like as a youngster like I mean did that did you feel you were missing out at all or yeah that's that's the thing for me because um in the UK we have sixth form this is the period of um that was what I was in at the time and that's when everyone's turning 18 here in the UK uh, and as you can imagine that's when everyone you know life's starting to become amazing for all these people as you can go to clubs and whatnot and for me uh that's what I did miss out on I'll be honest you know everyone Friday Saturdays are where we go in for me I just wanted to get home quick and you know crack on with trading so that element i did miss out on and but i'm trying to i always try to see it as that's what i'll catch up on later in life and that's what i'm working towards mm. uh doing in the coming years and and so what 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 do you think made you you know have that mentality when you've mm-hmm. got all this peer pressure and stuff especially when you're you know a teenager pushing in one direction and you've managed to sort of break free from that i mean what what mindset did you and why do you think you've got a mindset like this 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's just a different type of hunger. Um, you know, it's not that type of, you know, little burst of motivation you get after watching a movie. For me, I've always just had this passion that I've got to do it no matter what. And it's just some, I've always had good form of discipline and I've been able to exercise that, um, like I said, through potentially uh, lifeguarding, that patience, that discipline. Um, and I've always been able to tell myself, Matt, don't do it. It's not worth it, you know, for the greater good. And yeah, it's just something that's come quite naturally. And, and it, it wasn't anything like your parents weren't entrepreneurs or anything like that that sort of Nothing, triggered it? No, Nothing like um, that. My, my parents were actually that traditional, you know, go to uni, go get that corporate job. Uh, I ended up doing what, you know, work experience at KPMG over the summer. Oh, okay. um, but that wasn't for me because I was there, but I was just the number. Um, I, I was looking around, you know, everyone's got their heads down on the desks. And, you know, it's almost like um, you can see each other, but don't talk. And they don't care if, you know, drop dead tomorrow, you're replaced. And I, that wasn't for me. Uh, the corporate world is very much, you know, you have to do a lot of backstabbing to, you know, move up within the company where entrepreneurship, you're almost networking with each other and helping each other to actually move up. And that appealed to me a, a much, much more. That's it's a great way to put it, actually. And I don't know yeah. how many people listening are thinking thinking exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what about like moving into this period of like, just, hey, first of all, I suppose, meeting Alex and then deciding to start George Mortimer and then yep. going on to starting a fund after that. I mean, how did that all progress and what were the challenges and hurdles that you came up across? Up against? Yeah, I mean... For me and Alex, we always saw the educational space wasn't as good as it always it could be. A lot of people, you know, I was I, I unfortunately did um, join the company back in the day when I was young called IML. Uh, left a couple of months later because that wasn't for me. I actually wanted to trade rather than you know purely just recruit people, and that did leave quite you know a sour taste in my mouth. And that's why I wanted to actually put together a good educational company like George Mortimer. Um, so because me, Alex had his own, I had my own, I was like to him, well, why are we being you know, against each other when we can gel and work together? And that's when GM came um, forward. But, you know, we've always had age against us. Uh, we are young. I'm only 21. Alex is 19. Charlie's 20. So age works, you know, both ways. They either come to us and say, wow, you're young. You're doing great for yourself. Awesome. Or it goes the other way. And they're like, ah, they're young. Like, like you know, a, a good way about it was, a good analogy was, uh, if your car instructor, your driving instructor, if he's 20, you're thinking, oh, he's only been driving a couple of years. Why am I going to learn from him? It's a similar, you know, approach to that. Um, so that's some of the hurdles and challenges we have definitely faced over the coming year, uh, over the previous years, definitely is our age. And, and what did it take to get to the, like an office in Canary Wharf? I mean, what was the, what was the sort of like decision factor around that and you know, I didn't. I should have asked Charlie this, in fact, but I didn't. So, so what was the decision factor around? Like, let's move to Canary Wharf and get ourselves mm. established in, you know, one of the big hubs of of trading in in the the world. I mean, it was definitely the age thing again because we needed something that gave us credibility. Imagine if I said to you, "All right, Cam, you know, give me some money, essentially, to manage." Um, but I'm in my bedroom, by the way. Uh, mm, that doesn't seem great at all. But if we have an office in Canary Wharf, ah, suddenly, you know, that gives us a bit of credibility and actually opens the door to have an opportunity to have a chat uh, that perhaps wouldn't have been possible uh, if we were in our bedroom trading. Okay, and so so how did you go? Uh, across, sorry, how did you get into the position where you were like comfortable? Let's now start to see if we can get some funds behind us to 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 accelerate the growth and to I suppose 
to do that, you would have had to have some kind of track record. How did you go about doing that? And then how did you go about selling that track record into into businesses and individuals who had, had capital? Yeah, so essentially at the moment, most of our clients are retail investors. Uh, we are looking at going to um, corporations later down the line, but at the moment it is majorly just retail investments. Um, now, when we did open the fund, uh, which is a separate company, we had a great uh, reputation and credibility through GM. So sourcing capital for the fund wasn't actually too much of an issue because for the last couple of years, we've been bringing great education through GM. So when we really announced, guys, we are opening a fund, it wasn't actually too difficult to get that, um, you know, the capital in the door. Uh, but it wouldn't have been possible if we didn't have the good credibility from the educational side. Okay, cool. And and do you want to sort of give us, uh, let's dive into the trading now. So like, so if you had to break down your own trading these days, and so I suppose yep. leading up to the last couple of years, I mean, what is, yep. what are you, um, what does your typical trading day look like? Okay, so very similar to Charlie, um, coming at 6.30am, what I'll do is I'll come in, I'll send, I'll do my personal analysis first of all, and then I'll send my personal analysis to all the members. Uh, once they know the trading levels, which the channel, um, I then monitor set alerts on what I'm looking at. Once certain levels break, great, we take entries. All my entries are limit-based models, um, so it's almost quite a hands-free model. I can crack on with the businesses, because like I said, I'm a trader, but I'm also director of a couple of businesses, so I'm not always glued to the charts. You don't want to be a chart slave. That's not the purpose of being a trader at all. It's mentally draining and not sustainable. Um, so I'll come in, you know, set the limits and crack on with my day. Do a, I always do a daily trading stream as well in the uh, New York session every single day. And that's more, more updated on what I sent out in the morning and really uh, just doing small business uh, tasks in between that. Um, but no, apart from that, I like to get into maybe three, four trades a week. I say that because, all my, like I said, my model's hate for model. Um, so I'm not really looking at chasing these small intraday uh, moves. Okay, cool. And so, so when you're when you're sort of jumping to the charts, you're you're are you doing multi time frame analysis? And how long does the whole sort of process from where to go take, and across which markets? So I'll do all my top down analysis. If it's a fresh week, I'll do all my analysis on the Sunday. I'll get all the pairs on the side and I'll have a couple of sections that split up my watch list. So I'll have my primary, I'll have my secondary, I'll have not interested and I'll have um, limits set and open positions. And then I'll go through each one and see, similar to what I said on the post posted note, um, what ones match what I'm looking for. And then I'll put that if it's in the primary, that means it's matched. Secondary needs development. And if I'm not interested, it means it's invalid and it's probably going to be a couple of weeks um when trades become valid my maybe breaking structure uh, then i'll put it into and move up the watch list into limits and that's how i'll almost monitor uh, the watch lists and then i'll just set positions accordingly and were you able to come up with that watch list approach straight off the bat and that was the like the first time you said all right i need to change the way this is working uh to make it more efficient was this the very first iteration of that, or did you have to iterate your watch list approach a few times to get to the one you yeah, use now? Yeah, uh, big time, because for me, <laughs> when I started, I'd have 27 pairs all down the side, and it would be mentally draining, because I'd be flicking through, forgetting, and I'd be like, I'd come back four hours later and be like, oh, I've missed the trade because I, I didn't you know, organize it properly. It's, it's very, very easy. You can do it on TradingView. You just add sections within your watch list, and it just makes life a lot easier you know, for you to manage. And how important do you think like having an iterative approach to, to you know, trading as a whole is is uh, is to success in this space? 
Yeah, very. I mean, trading is already difficult enough. You as a trader, you don't need to make it. You need to make it as easy as possible for yourself. And the smallest stuff like this just make life 10 times easier. Um, like I said before, the market is challenging enough, um, let alone without you messing up as a trader and human error. So the small tricks are sometimes the best tricks. Now, so just so people understand and can connect the dots here, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put a link to Charlie and Alex's uh, shows in your show notes yep. so people can flick through them now mm-hmm. with regard to like so you're doing your analysis sharing with the guys yep. is charlie using that analysis as part of his trading or are you taking your own trades separate to him and so on and so yeah, forth? No, good question um so when i do have something pop up we'll actually discuss that um so it won't just be charlie finds a trade and executes that trade on the fund um it's a there's a bit there's a longer process to it so uh, we have a team of well six traders abroad. They'll actually put ideas forward. I'll review the ideas and then present them to Charlie to execute. And that's how that channel works. So it's not just simply I find a valid trade and execute on the fund. No, there's actually a procedure that the charts and positions have to go through to get to Charlie to then execute. Right. So Charlie is the key executor in terms of the trades. But yeah, front, you guys yeah. are, are giving that the strategy and guidance, which I think is what he what he touched on when we were yeah. we were talking talking uh, the other week. Now you, you just mentioned then you've got six traders abroad as well who mm-hmm. are helping feed into this. I mean, how does that work, and how did you come up with and find these guys? So no, there's six traders in Sri Lanka, uh, two girls and four boys, and mm-hmm. uh, they're more fundamental. Um, so they will look at the probabil- probabilities for different setups. They'll and they'll take fundamentals into consideration. They'll then present based on what they've come up with, based on probabilities. They will then put it forward to me. I'll look at the technical side of the positions, and that's when I'll present to Charlie across to the next queue. So yeah. it, it really is like a channel. You're just pushing yeah. setups yeah. forward, and it's it's um, like a factory. Really, yeah. yeah, it does sound like a factory. It, it, I mean, it's interesting because it, to get an insight into like what goes into you know, managing other people's money at scale, yeah. i.e. having a fund, um, mm-hmm. what goes into that to make it happen to actually get the trades on a chart? It's not just, you know, somebody sitting at home. Well, sometimes it is, it's, but yeah. It's very, very different to, you know, these prop firm traders. Um, it's it's not as easy as me just, you know, executing a position on my MT4, happy days, letting it run. No, there's, it's not one, one dimensional at all. There's a lot of steps to it. And how on earth... And why on earth Sri Lanka, six traders that do fundamental analysis at a high level. I mean, is this like just another outfit in Sri Lanka that you managed to connect with? Or did you find these guys individually? <laughs> How did that happen? No, so that was actually one of uh, the perks of moving to Canary Wharf, as these tr- these traders were a good contact of the broker we work with. Uh-huh. Um, so the broker put, put us into contact. Uh, the broker hosts our fund, so he put us into contact with the traders, and that's how we had that connection there. Okay, of course, of course. Right, now, um, let's jump into, like I suppose, thinking about other people listening to the show yeah. and what they could potentially do. And I suppose running at the education firm, uh, George Mortimer, is probably going to give you some really good insight into the answering these. Now, what about if you're a retail trader, you've got a day job, you're wanting to yeah. get into this business, what steps mm-hmm. would you recommend they uh, do to start growing an account okay um actually take data collection serious and this isn't a joke because uh, so many traders think they can watch a video course apply the strategy and that trading will change forever and unfortunately that's not the case you need to take data collection serious because you need to give yourself an edge you need to actually go through years and years of data on the charts see what works why it works and then you build a model off the back of that once you actually see that 
then you can actually start going through the for these FTMO accounts. And once you get these FTMO accounts, 100k account, you can essentially go full time, um, but you need to do it in a way that uh, you don't just cut all your income streams off at once because that's when you're going to face problems and that's when you're going to put more pressure on your own trading when you don't have an income stream to rely on. What a lot of traders do, and the best thing to do it is they have a job on the weekends, they trade during the days. So that way they know they have an income stream uh, from their weekend job. So it does it takes a bit of pressure off on when they're trading during the week. Um, so if you can go make the progression from full-time, part-time, full-time trader, uh, and that's you know the transition you want to make. Yeah, I was really impressed with the fact that you had done the FTMO trial free challenge was it yep. five or six times before you decided yep. to go and was that purely just because you didn't have any money to put towards the the main that's one that's it I, I could have done a normal demo account uh, however i wanted to you know trade under and having a bit of pressure by the rules that ftmo set out yeah yeah okay so so very much is the data collection stuff that is is the game changer here now what what did uh what's a sufficient amount of data for you to then go okay i'm confident that this is going to work like going forward how you know you talked about going back 12 months i mean how, how many months or years do you have to go back and what's your view on things like the market changing over time you know you had that we had the coronavirus stuff make things really volatile and liquid what's your view so again because i've run so many pairs you need to do not 12 months over one pair you need to do 12 months across 10 15 pairs and once you have that you now have 12 to 15 years of data and then you can actually get a good idea if the model is worth pursuing very much once you do that first phase of data collection that's literally just the draft of the model right you then need to almost do a round two with the model and this is why trading is not an easy process because you have to do multiple rounds uh, of refinement on the model and once you can do 12 months on a pair right 2020 let's say on euro usd um draft one great it could do 20 30 percent for the year however you could change the smallest thing in the step and that could change it to either 5% or 40%. And you need to do that multiple times until you get a figure that you're happy with across loads of pairs. Um, so once you have at least 10 to 15 years um, of data, that's when you should actually start pursuing you know, these FTMO-funded accounts. And, and do you think like some of this stuff could be automated in terms of the setups that you were testing? and, Or is it more like discretionary in terms of like, oh, it's, you know, it's in a trend or there's you know, high highs, this sort of thing? Um, yeah, no. Was it was it too discretionary to be an automated kind of like data collection? Yeah, okay, yeah. Right. Uh, I would definitely recommend doing it manually and just taking your time doing it. Um, there's n- don't rush trading. There's no point in it. Okay, so so thinking about a price chart, I mean, what three things would you recommend that, like a novice or intermediate trader go away and educate themselves on? Cool. Uh, structure, order flow, and price cycle. Right. And so when you say price cycle uh, yep. and order flow, what are you talking about there? So when I say price cycle, that is very much uh, Wyckoff. So schematics, um, weak hands versus strong hands. Uh, so the price cycle is, you know, the accumulation going into the markup, reaccumulation, up, distribution, back down, just learning how the market moves and how, you know, the strong hands shift the weak hands out of the market. Uh, when I talk about order flow, that is very much more, you know, the SMC type of trading, the supply and demand zones, how to find the correct zones, uh, that approach. And thinking about a trader's mindset and like, uh, I suppose, the the mental aspect to trading, which 
I mean, it seems like, you know, you, you got through it pretty quickly and it could be the fact that, you know, the, the patients around sitting at a, at a pool for, for hours on end. Um, and um, I, I, I was going to ask, like, what on earth do you do? But, yeah, that's what you did. You thought about trading. Um, what, do, what Do you have any special techniques or things that – or have you ever come across issues around the mindset? Uh, I think you talked about something earlier on around um, – that you struggled with around lo- losing trades. What, yeah. are, what are your sort of tips and hints and what you teach the guys at George Mortimer to try and get them over these hurdles that they might face? Okay, so you need to treat trading as a business. Uh, you know, your typical business has to pay rent, employees, you know, buy stock, treat trading exactly the same. You know, if you lose a trade on EURUSD, that's you paying your employees. If you lose a trade on USD, that's you paying your rent for the month. And once you treat, treat trading like that, as long as, of course, you have more inflows than outflows, your trading will be profitable. But if you suddenly start accepting these losses for what they are, and actually you're just paying your rent or buy a new stock, your trading will actually, you, you won't become as stubborn with your trading because you'll take a trade for what it is. If it loses, it loses, and then you move on to the next. Uh, but the, at, at the end of the day, you have to take valid trades. You have to see both options. Would you rather um, take a valid trade and it blow through, or would you not take a valid trade and it runs? And when you put it like that, the answer is very simple. And I suppose what backs this up for you is the data collection that you've done, and you know yep. that, okay, well, I'm going to lose this number of trades and possibly have a yep. losing quick sequence of, you know, three or four trades before you get a win, mm-hmm. so that's going to be okay. So all this stuff probably, you know, gives somebody confidence before they mm-hmm. go in. And, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so... so um. Uh, if you if you had to recommend somebody spend the next month mastering something, one particular thing, what would it be? Uh, keep it simple. Structure. Structure is the scaffolding to every single. I know it's you know people might think oh well, I've heard structure before, but it's the scaffolding you know to the market. Once you identify structure, you know your bias. So if you know you're in an uptrend, why are you looking for shorts? You don't need to. Um, you know, so all you have to do then is look for long entries. Um, so keep it simple structure. And, and is there any particular sort of unique aspect to the way that you do market structure? Because I've had a few guys on the show before who've yep. demonstrated how they do it, and everyone's sort of got mm-hmm. these slight variations on it. No, so I'll I'll, I'll always use four-hour trends, right? Uh, if you look at a chart, four-hour trends are probably one of the most respected in terms of highs and lows. They very rarely actually get manipulated. Um, so I look at the four-hour trend and then form trades based off that. And are you, are you using, using the wicks or are you using the closes or opens or? Uh, wicks. wicks. Uh, so I'll measure the top to bottom based on the wicks. If price does pierce through that, I will class it as a break of structure. Right. And have you got a sort of uh, pip, like pip or point kind of uh, measure or are you literally like if the thing breaks, it doesn't matter how much it is if now a break breaks. of structure? Right. Um, if we're in if we're in a downtrend and the bear should kick in between the lower high and lower low, if that lower high gets taken, well, that tells me order flow didn't kick in within that trading range, which means the bulls will step in. Right. Okay. Now, um, is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with the listeners? Any question that I haven't asked? Um, no, I think you've covered it all. I okay. Think you've, yeah. Brilliant. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to jump into the quick fire round and then we're going to going to wrap up here. Yeah, so, go for it. Uh, what's your favourite entry setup? Uh, four hour continuational. What strategies do you use to exit or manage trades? Um, so when price comes into a lower low, uh, when we're coming into contact with liquidity, always take partials and move stop loss to BE. Uh, what do you have a recommended trading book or resource? Um, Market Wizards. That's a very good book to read. Yeah. 
Uh, what's your preferred broker and trading platform? Uh, London Trading Index. It's broker. And what's the trading platform? In terms of? Uh, oh, just the software that you use, the chatting software. Oh, uh, MetaTrader. MetaTrader. Hey, folks, ever wonder what broker I use? Well, I use Hanko Trade. It was a no-brainer because I was looking for a broker with good trading conditions and one that wouldn't restrict my leverage. Now, by joining Hanko Trade, I've also cut down my trading costs significantly with their super low commission of just $1 per 100K. You can learn more at HankoTrade.com or just click the link I've put in the description. Four. And trading. Yeah, yeah, five. Uh, five. Five, okay, cool. Um, do you want to walk us through your worst ever trade? It might be a while a while back, but... Um, yes, so I got on the wrong end of an NFP trade, uh, tried uh, trading EURUSD, tried flipping a small account, and we got margin called very, very quickly. Don't ever try and over-risk on NFP. Um, now, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? Um Data collection will change your life. You know, put in the hard work and it will definitely pay off. Um, you know, don't try and, you know, get to the top uh, very, very quick and easy. Do the hard work and it will, yeah, you'll get there. Right, brilliant. Well, look, before we wrap up, what's the best way for the traders to get hold of you? Um, follow me on Instagram, drop me a message and, yeah, join the free Discord if you want some trading tips. Well, look, guys, a big thank you to Matt for sharing with us today. Everything we've discussed here, along with all the links, are in the show notes. To find them, simply search for Matt in the search box on tradingnut.com. Until next time, wish all my listeners trading happiness and success. All right, folks, there you have an interview done and dusted with Matt. Now, do remember we shot that video after this where he breaks down his trade of the year, 1,000 pips, really 925, uh, and the backtesting approach that he takes. So giving you guys some little insight into that. Now, other things, remember, uh, I could pot potentially be up on the live streams this coming week if not next week uh, who knows we're gonna see how it goes uh, and the robot builders club boot camp is underway if you do want to jump on board maybe miss the live stream but get the replays then that might be available for a little bit longer so go and check it out over there on tradingnut.com or you'll find links under the video or in the podcast description all right folks have a great trading week and we'll see you in the next episode